Happy New Year. My name is Dave Butler from Christian Dating Service Plus. And today our exciting Church Singles podcast talks about things like first kisses and the adventure of attraction between a single man and a single woman. That's some great stuff right there. Surprisingly, many romantic tips come from the Bible itself. Let's listen in. And we're going to watch a couple, a man and a woman. We are going to watch them become attracted to each other. And then we're going to watch them get to know each other. We're going to call that courtship. That'll be next Sunday. Then they're going to get married. That's in three weeks. They're going to get intimate. Twice, they're going, we're going to watch them make love. And I want you to know that uh, that's a gift of God within the bonds of marriage. And then there's some conflict. I know some of you know that there's conflict sometimes in marriage. Two chapters out of these eight deal with conflict. And then we're going to see some romance. And we're going to end up with a whole lot of commitment. And although this this is a 3,000-year-old book, I believe it is a book for our generation. And I believe within it is a message that every married couple needs to hear. And I believe it's a message that every single person, especially those who anticipate getting married one day, needs to hear it. Okay, so you invite people to come out and hear the, the very Word of God. Now, let me say this a couple things up front. The Song of Solomon has is, is been interpreted in different ways, and uh, a lot of ways I think are, are possible. But I'm going to preach this literally as a love story between a man, Solomon, and a woman. It's called the Shulamite woman. Uh, and we're going to look at the love that they have, the love between a man and a woman. And I think that's what the emphasis of this book is, the, that great special love that a, that a husband can have for a wife. And it's going to remind us that marriage is a gift from God. And so the theme of these seven messages, I want you to know this, and hopefully I'll remind you every week, is reclaiming marriage for the glory of God. Reclaiming marriage for the glory of God. There's an outline in your bulletin. I ask you to follow along if you'd like to. Uh, Let me also give you a little bit of warning. There is some explicit sexual language in this book. A matter of fact, the history records that uh, Jewish, his- Jewish teachers would not allow the men to read this book until they were 30 years old, and the women weren't allowed to read it at all. And there were some who didn't even want this book in the Bible. But God ha- would have it to be in the Bible. And this book is often left out in the churches, and I think it's a great tragedy. I want you to know also that my priority in preaching this book will be to glorify God. The sexual content in this book is exclusively within the bonds of marriage. And let me say this, sexual intimacy within the bonds of marriage is not nasty or is it perverted. It is a glorious and precious gift of God and we must reclaim that truth. So I'll be up front with you about that. This morning let's begin with the adventure of attraction. And I want you to know that Solomon and his beloved wife are looking back at the time where they become attracted to each other. And so they're already married, really, and they're, right, they're looking back at this. And the first thing we're going to notice is that initial attraction. What attracted them to one another? So the first thing is that initial attraction. It says in verse 2, Let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth, for your love is better than wine. Now, women, any of you feel that way when you get a kiss from your husband? Amen. All right, all right. That one's going to cost me. Phew, that one's going to cost me, isn't it? Amen. You ought to kiss her like I do, man. All right, all right. Well, anyway, anybody remember that first kiss and how it kind of uh, made your head swim and uh, like to... (laughs) 
like to knock you off your feet. Uh, you know, in a, you know, in a couple that's having difficulties, one of the first things that goes is passionate kissing. Now, if you're struggling in your marriage, you probably don't have much passionate kissing anymore. But she says, "Let me kiss him with kiss. Let let him kiss me with the kisses of his mouth." For your love is better than wine. That's not the problem with this couple. I mean, she says your kiss is sweet. Your kiss is powerful. Your kiss is intoxicating. It's better than wine. Now listen to this. Several years ago, I heard about a survey taken in Germany. And listen to this. It revealed that if a man kissed his wife in the morning before leaving to work, he would, first of all, he would live five years longer. Number two, he would have 50% fewer illnesses. And number three, he would make 20 to 30% more than the man who doesn't. And I'm going to start kissing mine two or three times before I leave. <laughs> but she talks about how special this was. And so the first thing I want us to know, I don't, I don't want us to get the cart b- before the horse. Again, they are married and they are looking back. And so we say, how did they get to this point? Where she so cherished that kiss from him. How did she get to that point? Well, first, there was physical attraction. I know some of you are going to say, well, why are you starting with the physical? Uh, Some people say, well, that's secondary. And I, I agree that the physical is secondary. But often it's the first thing that catches our eye. And it's the first thing that attracts us to someone. And so here's what the woman says in verse 3. And again... Maybe in the, in the margins of your Bible, you, you can write down if your Bible doesn't say who's speaking. But this is the woman in verses 2 and 3 and, and even in verse 4. But in verse 3 she says, Because of the fragrance of your good ointments or your cologne. You know how your spouse has a certain fragrance? Well, she is remembering. She, she can remember what he smelt like. Now, they didn't take many baths back then. Water was scarce. And so what they would do is they would get some ointments and they would rub it on their body, some, some fragrant ointments or, or oils. And so we can make some application there. This was a man who brushed his teeth and, and used mouthwash. And he took a shower and he used some soap. And he did things to, to even be more attractive. He put on some good cologne. And men, we ought to do those things that can make us even more attractive to our wives. I think we can learn that from here. Now, you can't read this book without realizing that there is much physical attraction. I mean, that in verse 8, the man says, Oh, you're the fairest among women. You're more beautiful than any other woman. In verse 15, he says, Behold, you are fair, or you are beautiful, my love. Maybe it was love at first sight. But there is definitely some physical attraction, and I want to say that's all right. It's natural to want to look good, especially if you, you see somebody and you want to get their attention. It's natural to want to look the very best you can. And we have to have some warnings there. Uh, you know, if you base your entire relationship on the physical, you're probably going to be disappointed at some point in your life. And you say, well, why do you say that? Well, it's, it's almost a given that when you're dating, that man or that woman is going to look their very best. And then they're going to go through some things in life like aging and childbearing and hair loss and become a little more healthy around the waistline. There are some things that's going to happen to us. And if everything is based on the physical, you're going to get to a point where you're going to be a little bit disappointed. And so there must be a balance. And so I encourage people to take care of themselves and not to let themselves go just because they're married. It's not healthy, I don't think, for a couple to to lose the physical attraction to one another because it was probably that that first brought them together. 
Now, that's often more important for the man than it is the woman because men are more visual. And I, I don't say that to be sexist. That's just a fact. That's the way God put us together. But as far as the, the physical attraction goes, the, the Shulamite woman, she has something that concerns her. And she says in verse 5, I am dark but lovely. I'm like the tents of Kedar. She's talking about the, the darkness. I'm like the curtains of Solomon. And she says, do not look upon me because I am darker. Don't look down on me because I'm dark, because the sun has tanned me. My mother's sons, that, that would be her brothers, they were angry with me. They made me the keeper of the vineyards, but my own vineyard I have not kept. She says, my brothers made me go work in the vineyards, and I wasn't able to take care of my own vineyard. And there she's talking about her own body. She says, I've not been able to take care of it. And so her skin is dark, she's sunburned, and her, her face is windblown, her hands are probably rough, because she had to work outside. Apparently this Shulamite woman is from a lower class, and uh, her brothers made her go out and work in the vineyards. Uh, apparently there is no father, because he's never mentioned in this book, and it talks more about her brothers. And so they were in authority, and they sent her out to work. And at this particular time, being sunburned was, was not attractive. It, you know, a lot of things have changed. I mean, people pay for that now. But it wasn't uh, attractive back then. It revealed that you had to work and uh, work outside even. And she was afraid that, that Solomon might look down upon her and that, that Solomon might not find her attractive. And, and she's really saying here, that's just not fair. Uh, don't be mean to me and don't look down upon me because I had to go outside and, and work. Uh, why these other women get to stay inside and fix themselves up and work on their nails and their hairs and do all this primping. Don't look down upon me because of that. And here I want to say that, you know, self-image uh, can be so dangerous. Uh, people today are, spent, people even today in the churches, they're spending millions of dollars to enhance the way they look. Because they're so concerned about their physical appearance. And they're getting enhancements and weight loss and tanning and starving themselves and whatever it is. You name it. And, and the sad thing is they, they have no care for what it might do in the future. They just want to look good right now. And there's way too much emphasis on the physical today. And it's interesting that we think that those in, in Hollywood are the most physically attractive. And yet their marriages last the shortest. Why is that? Let me suggest there's something more. Something more important than the physical, and that is character. And so number two, there is character attraction. Look in verse 3. Your name is ointment poured forth. The, the Shulamite is speaking here again. She says, your name is ointment poured forth. New American Standard translates that as your name is like purified oil. His name is his character. And so she says, your character is, is well known. It is poured forth. And it is pure. And it's holy. And it was because of his name, because of his character, that she says in verse 3 that the virgins, the young women, love you. Women are attracted to men with character. And she is so attracted to him and his character. She says in verse 4, draw me away. Take me with you. And then she goes on to say that the king has brought me into his chambers. The king has taken me to be his own. Again, they are married and they're looking back. And she is so honored to be his wife. 
Now there's this little section in here called the daughters of Jerusalem. These are, in some translations, they're called the women in the course. And what they do is they kind of add some flavor to the story by, by adding comments from kind of an outside perspective, alright? They kind of carry the storyline along and they say there in verse 4, in verse 4, we will be glad and rejoice with you. We will remember your love more than wine. Here's what these ladies in the course are saying. They're saying to her, you're a lucky woman. We wish we had a man like that. A man with his character and his name. Proverbs 22.1 says, A good name is more desirable than great riches. To be esteemed better than silver or gold. A good name, a good character is what they're talking about there. Now, does, a, does character matter to a man? Notice what Solomon writes here about this woman. Now, he is physically attracted to her, but he begins to talk about her character, and her character seems to far surpass all the physical beauty that he sees in her. First of all, he notes that she's hardworking. I mean, in verse 6, she talks about, they made me keeper of the vineyards. Here's a woman who's a servant, who's not afraid to work. He, he notices that in her, and he says she's a servant. He also says, secondly, that she's obedient to authority. Her brothers, apparently, in this family, are the, the, the men of authority, and they send her out, and she obeyed, and she goes out and she works in the vineyard, even at the expense of her own vineyard, or her own body. And so she submits to authority, and then, number three, she is morally upright, and she is committed to purity. Verse, verse 7, look at that. It says, tell me, and this is the woman speaking, Tell me, O oh, you whom I love, where you feed your flock, where you make it rest at noon. For why should I be as one who veils herself by the flocks of your companions? Who veils herself like the prostitutes would do. And some translations pick that up there. By the flocks of your companions. Here's what would happen. The prostitutes would veil their faces and they would go out and they would follow after the shepherds. And at nighttime they would give themselves to the shepherds. That's where the word hooker comes from. But that's what they would do. And she says, I don't need to be like that. She's not going to him at night. She says, where can I find you at noon? I'm not a prostitute, she says. I am committed to purity. I am a woman of character. And Solomon recognizes that in her life. Where can I find you at noontime, she says. A woman of character. And so I ask you young men and young ladies, are you a person of character? And I ask you singles in particular, are you looking for a person with character and integrity and purity? Listen, you might find Miss America. Or ladies, you might find Mr. Universe. But if they're a person without character, your marriage will be a little bit of hell. A person of character. I'm going to tell my kids, and I've already tried to start talking to them. I was taking Caitlin to the dentist one day this week, and she was telling me about a boyfriend. And I'm like, oh, no. <laughs> I said, does he go to church? She goes, I haven't asked him yet. And I'm like, oh, you got to ask him. But listen, I'm going to tell my children, I'm going to tell all the singles, you need to be looking for a believer. One who is full of character. One who desires to glorify God with their lives. And listen, don't settle for anything else. A believer, be equally yoked. Someone who believes the same thing that you do about the Lord Jesus Christ that loves and honors Him. Tommy Nelson preaches on the Song of Solomon and he gives this advice to singles and I think it's good. He said, what you need to do if you're single is you need to run to Jesus. 
And as you're running to Jesus, if you happen to look over your shoulder and you're seeing someone else running too, who's running at the same speed, then invite them over and run together. You know what the problem is? We, we, we're, we're chasing after people who don't care about Jesus. We need to find people who love Him like we do. That's what you need to settle for. Don't settle for anything less. Find someone with character and someone who loves the Lord Jesus Christ. And they're out there. But don't settle for anything else, okay? And so we've looked at their initial attraction. Now let's notice, let's notice the increasing admiration. We're going to see this. You can't read the Song of Solomon without seeing and being overwhelmed with the respect and admiration this couple has. And so first, notice that there is praise. And listen, there is much praise. And there is specific praise. Verse 9, I have compared you, my love. This is the man speaking here. I have compared you, my love, to my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. Now, I better explain that, lest some of you try to use that on your wife this evening. <coughs> you say that to your wife, she might not be that impressed. But this was a, a great compliment. The Pharaoh's, the filly among Pharaoh's chariots. Uh, this was uh, speaking of a one-of-a-kind filly, a, a female horse. And they were often even spoken of in a kind of like a, a almost divine. So notable. She would have been greatly honored for him to say that about her. Aphelia's, and this was the best horse. Now there were, there were stallions that would have pulled Pharaoh's chariot. And Aphelia would have caused quite a commotion. And so Solomon is saying, you're, you're just one of a kind. There's no one else like you. You can look at all the other horses out there. There is none like you. You are like my filly among Pharaoh's chariots. And he, he has this little name for it. In some translations, it's my beloved. In the New, American, the New King James, it's just my loved. It's a pet name. It's kind of like darling or honey or, or baby. And, and many of you use those names. You, you notice that some people married to a mean wife, they, they don't have no pet names for her. Uh, let's go on. Yeah. <laughs> Verse 10, your cheeks are lovely with ornaments. You hear the, the compliments that he lavishes upon her? I mean, she is worried about being sunburned. And Solomon says, you're beautiful. Her neck is beautiful, verse 10. And he, he intends to, to adorn her with jewelry. We'll make you ornaments of gold. Oh, we know that you're from a lower class. You're out there working in the vineyards, but that's not going to be that way. I'm going to adorn you with jewelry. She's the apple of his eye. You see how he praises her and edifies her? Man, we can take some lessons here. And I don't want my wife to say amen here. But we can take some lessons right here. Men, let us look at our, lives, our wives and offer them the praise that they deserve. I mean, most of us have been blessed by God with wonderful wives. Probably should have been a few more amens there. But the woman, the, the Shulamite, she can't help but return the favor. In verse 12, she says, while the king... and and here she, she acknowledges his royalty, is at his table. And when they would eat, they would kind of recline at the table. My perfume spreads its fragrance. Verse 13, a bundle of myrrh is my beloved to me that lies all night between my breasts. Myrrh was a, a very expensive aromatic resin or perfume. Uh, and they would carry it in a, in a sachet. And it would be worn next to your body. And the heat from your body would, would uh, allow the myrrh to to melt and the aroma would fill the fill the room 
And she compares Solomon to this precious, this sweet-smelling fragrance that laid uh, between her breasts all night. Uh, she was dreaming of him. And she compared him to that myrrh. That fragrance reminds me of you, my dear. Verse 14, My beloved is to me a cluster of Henan blooms in the vineyards of Engedeh. Now, that doesn't sound too impressive either. But Engedeh was was an area located around the Dead Sea, a, a wilderness, a desert-type area. And Engedeh was a spring that brings life to that area. It was like an oasis. And she says to him, you're like a, a flower blooming in the middle of the desert. I love to, to read this couple exchange these compliments and these praises for each other. And now it's Solomon's turn. He says in verse 15, Behold, you are fair, beautiful, my love. You are so beautiful. You have dove's eyes. And I love to look in my wife's eyes. Last night we, we exchanged vows. All the couples that were here last night exchanged their wedding vows. And we got to stand here and I got to, to look into those big brown eyes. And I'm thankful for them. He, he notices those eyes and he speaks of dove. And he, he's speaking of beauty and, and gentleness and peace. I mean, whoever said that uh, women are beautiful when they're angry? I mean, they're crazy. I was beautiful when she's not angry. Amen. Anyway, verse 16. It's a woman's turn. She says, you're handsome, my beloved. Yes, pleasant. I mean, this is good. I mean, this is the way, it all, this is the way a, a marriage ought to look. And um, most of us can't say that. But, but this is the way it ought to look. And it's so good. Listen, praising your spouse is, is, a, is essential to a, to a satisfying and a, a meaningful relationship. And so, men, how are you doing in this area? Women, how are you doing in this area? Praise your spouse. Do it publicly even. And quickly, we need to go on. Not only do we see them praises, but secondly, there's propriety. Now, that's a funny word. We talked about, me and Troy talked about this word. But here's what propriety means in, under dictionary.com. It means appropriate behavior. It means modesty. It means manners. Verse 16, it says, Behold, uh, at the end of verse 16, also our bed is green. What they're doing, they're lying, they're lying in the grass. They're, they're having a picnic. They're, they're eating together. They're spending time together. They're getting to know each other. It's a very romantic setting. Verse 17, it says that we're shaded by the cedar trees and the rafters of, of the spreading firs. They're outside. It's romantic, you see. They're having a picnic together. And she's describing it. But notice that they're out in the open. They're in the public. And that's where you should be if you're dating and not married. Not in your room. Not in the back of your car. You ought to be out in the public. That's where they were at. Getting to know each other in the light. And behaving themselves. That's propriety. That's modesty. That's not what you find at the mall. When the boys and girls are going up and hanging out over each other. Groping like a bunch of animals. Listen, let me say to Christian couples, your dating ought not look like that. Your dating ought to look differently. And notice that as they grow in this relationship, her perception of herself changes. We notice this in beginning in chapter 2. I mean, verse 5 of chapter 1, she's worried about being sunburned. And notice how his character, and notice how his praises has changed her perception. In verse 1 of chapter 2, she says, I am the rose of Sharon. I am the lily of the valley. It's singular. She's saying, I'm special to this man. 
I'm the rose of Sharon. I am the lily of the valley. And if that's not enough, Solomon adds, you're like a lily among thorns. I've used that one this week. But you're, you're like a lily among thorns. So is my beloved among the daughters. Men, do you make your wife feel like that? I mean, some of you give more attention to the waitress at the steakhouse than you do your wife. It ought not to be that way, men. Your wife should know that she is the only one for you. And vice versa, men and women. Some men say it's okay to look just so you don't touch. Listen, if you're married, you ought to have eyes only for one person, and that's your wife. Amen. Verse 3, it's a woman's turn. She says, you're like an apple tree among the trees of the woods. So is my beloved among the sons. So is my beloved among all the other boys. You see the respect and admiration that she has for him? And as her admiration increases, the feeling of protection comes. That's the third thing. There's protection. Verse 3, she says, I sat down in his shade with great delight. That speaks of the protection that she feels when she's with him. She is under his wings. She is in his shade, it says. And she feels safe when she is with him because she knows that he will never hurt her. That's a pretty picture. And that's the way she feels. And then she goes on and says, His fruit was sweet to my taste. That is nourishment. That is provision that she finds when she's with him. And notice how he honors her publicly. He says in verse 4, she says, He brought me to the banqueting house, and his banner over me was love. Listen, here's a man who's not ashamed of this woman. He brings her out in the public, and he puts his banner over her. It is a banner of protection. It is a banner of ownership. He is proud of her. He sticks like a banner down and says, This is my woman. See the protection and the provision that he provides for. The point here is that being with our spouse, being with our spouse, ought to bring out the best in us. And with our spouse, we ought to find protection and nourishment. Listen, for those of you that are dating or will be dating someday, if you find yourself in a dating relationship that brings you down, and you know what I mean. If you find yourself in a dating relationship that brings you down and you keep tearing each other down, you're probably in the wrong relationship. And you need to get out of it. You ought to feel safe when you're with your date. I mean, in about 20 years when I let Caitlin date, I, I want someone who will protect her. I, I want her to feel like that when she's with him. I, I want someone that I know will never hurt her, that will protect her. Treat her like the lily of the valley. And fellow, that's the way we ought to treat our wives. Men who are dating, that's the way you ought to treat your date. Ladies, that's the way you ought to be treated. Men, we ought to open the doors for them. And we ought to walk beside them and not in front of them. We ought to honor them and protect them and, and nurture them. Last night we said love and honor and cherish. That's what we ought to do throughout our marriage. So this morning we looked at the initial attraction. We looked at the increasing admiration. They got to know each other. And finally, and quickly, let's notice the inevitable arousal. Verse 5. Sustain me with cakes of raisins. Refresh me with apples, for I am lovesick. Now listen, this is the first time we really hear anything like this in this love letter. Raisins were an ancient aphrodisiac. 
a lot like oysters or chocolate. I mean, if you study in the Old Testament, when, uh, when the, they brought the Ark of the Covenant back to the temple, David was so excited, and he wanted the, the, the blessings of God that he sent everybody home with raisin cakes. And he's basically saying, be fruitful and multiply. It's a great day in the land. And here she says, in verse 5, Sustain me with cakes of raisins. Refresh me with apples. I'm lovesick. Solomon is treating her like a princess. And she says, I am lovesick. This is a very passionate verse. And so let me say first that passion is natural. This man has honored her. He has taken her to the banquet hall. He has put his banner of love over her. She knows that she belongs to him because of their love for each other. And here she is saying, I can't handle it any longer. I want you right now. That's what she's saying. Verse 6. Let his left hand be under my head and his right hand embraces me. What position are they in? Well, you all study that at home. But they're lying down. And here's what I want you to see in this. While passion is natural, secondly, restraint is necessary. Passion is natural, but restraint is necessary. Verse 7, I charge you, O daughters of Jerusalem, by the gazelles or by the does of the field, do not stir up nor awaken love until it pleases, or literally until the time is right. Now there is some debate as to who is speaking here. Some translation says it's a woman. Some say that it's Solomon. I don't know, but what the couple is saying is it's not the right time. We must wait until we are married. You hear that? We must wait until we're married and we're going to see this throughout the Song of Solomon. Listen, God has given us sex as a wonderful gift to be enjoyed between a man and a woman within the bonds of marriage and not before. And you're going to find it on every page of this book. Ladies, save yourselves for that special man. And on your honeymoon night, you can present yourself to Him as a special gift. Do not arouse or awaken love before it pleases, before the time is right. Ladies, will you do that? Guys, what our generation needs is men who will step up to the plate and say, No, not right now. We must wait until we are married. Would you be such a man? Some of you say, why would I say not yet? Because you're a man of integrity who desires to glorify God and honor that woman. Not until the time is right. That is so special. Listen, we're going to read this and we're going to see their feelings towards each other. We know how they're feeling. We, we know how we would feel if we were in such a relationship. But they recognize that the time was not right. Listen, outside of marriage, passion is natural, but restraint is necessary. That's a good place to stop this morning. I'm going to ask Brother Field to come and the musicians to come. We're going to have an invitation in just a moment. Listen, I know some of you here this morning and you're saying, 
Some of you are saying it's too late for that. I want to tell you this. We've all made some mistakes in life. All of us can raise our hands to that. We, we make mistakes in life. Listen, if you knew everything about me that God knows about me, you wouldn't come and listen to me preach. And if we knew everything about you that God knows about you, we wouldn't let you in those doors. We're sinners, all right? That's why this Bible is primarily about the Lord Jesus Christ who came from heaven and lived a sinless life for us. And He took all of our sins. Every time that we fall and every time we do things that we shouldn't do, He took them all and went to a cross and He died for them to pay the penalty for those sins. And then He offers to us the forgiveness of our sins through faith in Him. That's what He does. And so, wherever you might be in your relationship, God provides forgiveness. And you can start afresh even. That's the wonderful thing about the gospel. Is you can have the forgiveness of your sins. This morning we're going to have an invitation. We're going to invite you to respond. Some people believe that the Song of Solomon really just shows us God's love for us. I want you to know that we talked about that in Sunday school. But God loved this world so much that He would send Christ. He would come. He would live a sinless life. He would die for our sins. And then He would offer to you salvation. The forgiveness of your sins. Even though we are, we're sunburned by sin. We're stained with it. He comes and wipes it away. That's what He wants to do today. And I believe there's some here today that needs that. And that's all right because He wants to give it to you today.